hosted by Jason Bryan and providing the latest insights on telecoms trends from around the world. This is Rocco Radio. Welcome to another well-connected podcast. I'm Jason Bryan, CEO of Rocco Research. Well, in May 2022, Rocco announced the 100 most influential people in our sector of the telecoms industry. Following an eight-month period of research, we asked the industry to nominate the most influential people that they knew and tell us why they were nominating them. The results were really incredible to see. We received thousands of nominations for around 150 candidates from across every region of the world. We didn't just want to recognize the most powerful or senior people in the industry. We weren't looking only to recognize CEOs. This was about the people in all kinds of roles in all kinds of levels who develop and change our industry for the better. Our judging panel then selected, based on the endorsements of voters, the top 25 people from the ranking. We then held an amazing evening of celebration called the Visionaries Gala, where we gave specially designed awards and recognized the top 25 people in the Rocco 100. It's with great pleasure then that we announced Anurag as the number one ranking person in the Rocco 100 for 2022, a person whose influence has inspired so many people in the industry. In this podcast, we get to know Anurag a little bit better and hear what he thought of these results. For me, for my family, for uh, my industry and for my country, it is a moment of pride. Pleasure to be here with Anurag Agarwal. Did I say your name correctly, Anurag? You got it perfectly right. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. It was great to see you at the, the Rocco Genesis event earlier this year. And obviously, the amazing result that we saw at the Visionaries Gala of you being the number one most influential person in our industry. How did you feel about that? What was your reaction? So firstly, hi, Jason, and uh, to the Rocco team, thank you so much uh, for this lovely opportunity to be on Rocco Radio. I'd heard a lot about it. I never imagined I'll get a chance to feature on it. So it's my pleasure and privilege to be here. About Visionaries Gala, the Genesis event, and of course, the the Rocco 100. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, honestly, it was a surreal experience and something which I still can't believe what happened. To be honest, I was hoping to make it into the list. I never uh, presumed that there is even the faintest possibility of topping that list. So it was definitely a delight. I've spent nearly a decade now in this industry. It's been interesting to meet so many people from different walks of life across this decade. And uh, so many of them were there in that room that day attending that event. So it felt uh, quite heartening and really uh, was an amazing feeling to be in the presence of so many wonderful people and especially so many wonderful friends and colleagues who I've worked with in different uh, avatars across the decade and be there to receive the award. So yeah, it was a wonderful experience and uh, thank you once again for that. It was in fact a real pleasure to have you there, especially because over the course of the period when we're doing the Rocco 100 research, you start to see people's reactions, uh, you start to see people feedback on each other. And that is so heartwarming, you know, to get those those feedbacks coming through. And about you, there were just so many and they were from all over the world. And I have to say, it was uh, very inspiring and, and interesting to see that coming through. So it's really a pleasure that you're part of that for us. So thank you. Thank you for that. And then, you know, as I mentioned to you and Dheeraj, that It's not so much about the ranking or a number one or a number 15 or a 20 or something. I think the entire uh, activity across the few months, the amount of interest it generated, the amount of conversations it generated within within our tiny little family of CPAS and roaming. I think uh, it was amazing that uh, one could interact with so many people and talk about each other. You know, I also nominated some of my colleagues. So it was great to reflect on our relationships and uh, talk about that and similarly have so many people write for me. So I think beyond just the mathematical scoring and the eventual ranking, I think the, you know, uh, the softer aspects of it 
were far more important. And I think that's what was my biggest takeaway from it. Yes, and indeed, just the opportunity to to talk about your friends and colleagues and what they have achieved and what they have contributed to to you as an individual as well is is great. So, well, Anurag, it's a real pleasure to have you here in the hot seats, Rocco Radio. We want to have a little interview with you. So I would like to get to know you a little bit better. I would like to get to know some history. And let's start, I think, at the very beginning of how you got into the industry. So going back to your school days, what did you actually study? (laughs) All right. So very quick background about me. I come from the wonderful country of India. And uh, within that, I am uh, from the capital city called New Delhi, which is quite up in the north. It's known for its uh, culture of, you know, we have this overarching sense of familiarity, which we build with each other, which leads to everyone taking each other for granted. And conversations can often be very brash and brutal also. (laughs) Hence, it's a very different uh, atmosphere from when you blend into people from, say, other parts of the, the world, like, say, you know, Europeans or Chinese or Americans. So it's very interesting when you interact and see a very different tonality. So, uh, yeah, coming back, to, uh, I grew up in New Delhi. I studied in an Irish school, uh, an Irish convent school uh, called St. Columbus. During those days, uh, whenever we'd be asked, you know, every year there was a typical one essay which we'd write, what's our ambition in life, what we want to do in life. So uh, typical of everyone, I've grown up in an environment of uh, lawyers. Most of my family are actually lawyers. They've been practicing law for a good part of their lives. And uh, that's something which one just looks at and emulates very soon. And one presumes that that's the natural course of your future. So every time I was asked, I pretty much presumed that uh, I'll become a lawyer. But uh, funnily enough, uh, and thankfully maybe, that if you have good grades, you're told to follow the herd mentality. And my mother said to me that uh, don't become a lawyer. Anybody who has nothing else to do in life becomes a lawyer. So any lawyers listening to this show, please don't mind this old-fashioned opinion. Because I think at some point in life later, she, she had to eat those words. So that's why I didn't move on to actually getting into the legal fraternity. And I did my engineering and MBA. Uh, While doing my engineering, I very soon realized that technology is not my cup of tea. And that's when I went on to do my management studies. I joined the Tata Group after that. So that's uh, the Tata Group being one of the most well-known Indian conglomerates. And of course, within India, the largest business conglomerate. So I joined them. So that's as far as my education goes, firstly. (laughs) And you also you did a kind of internship in, in Kenya, is that right? Yeah, so during my MBA, I actually joined, I mean, I got an offer to do my internship with the Tata Group. So it was very interesting, you know, that's a, it's a very interesting anecdote from that time that uh, the person who was uh, deciding projects, he uh, came up to me and said, listen, you have a couple of options. We'll either send you to Spain or to UK or to Michigan or to Dubai, and maybe to Singapore. So there are some four or five lovely options available. And uh, I'll let you know shortly which ones. So for me, I'd not seen most of these countries till now, Jason. So it was like a dream come true till then. I think I'd barely seen like three or four. I mean, I could count the countries on one hand, which I'd seen. But uh, ironically, once he finished that conversation, he said, but I personally feel there is a project in Kenya. And I would like you to take that up instead. And I was like, so what are you talking? You know, there are such fantastic places, the US, UK, one keeps hearing about them. What makes you want me to go to Africa and that to Kenya? You know, one, we are still talking about days when smartphones had not really made their entry. Internet penetration was still not high. There wasn't high bandwidth, WhatsApp communication available to make you feel at home. So one just felt that going into some small township called Magadi in Kenya is quite a risky proposition. But he said something which uh, really, you know, even today, I remember that fondly. He said, Anurag, with God's grace, you should get enough opportunity to see all these other places, which are fairly common and often visited. And uh, if you do well in your career and in life, you should get enough opportunities. But uh, working in a place like Kenya would be something which is a once in a lifetime chance and uh, one that you shouldn't forego. 
I just went by his words. And uh, Jason, I can't tell you that was till date still the best time of my life. Because I feel that in today's lives, we've got a little too civilized. And, you know, the civilization has come with its own uh, merits and demerits. And it has made us fairly, uh, it's a very cookie cutter approach which we've all adopted towards life. So it was amazing to actually take a break on that and see how people in simpler parts of the world are living lives in a more natural habitat and they are blending well with their surroundings and are coexisting peacefully. So we would even have a factory which would be creating soda ash and we would at the same time be having a lake full of flamingos and we'd have the local Maasai tribe of Kenya all coexisting peacefully. So uh, that was an amazing experience to learn that, you know, first and foremost, that don't judge a book by its cover. Don't go by the fancy glitter and uh, glamour of some other options, which seem very nice at start, but beneath the shiny surface, they're fairly plain and ordinary. And at the same time, often, you know, take the path which has not been treaded by many, and you could see some wonderful experiences which you never expected in life. So take your chances and... Just follow your heart. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, it must have been an incredible experience for you and and a cultural clash, you know, uh, in terms of what you'd experienced in Delhi and and then being in Kenya. And so you were working, you were in an internship for Tata. What aspect, I mean, obviously Tata is a very well-known trademark, especially in India. I mean, what aspect of Tata were you working for at that time? So uh, there used to be a company earlier called Branamond, which had created, which had acquired a company in Kenya which, uh, to make soda ash. So what they would do is there was a lake which produced natural soda ash, which was then extracted and converted into a, a packaged soda ash, which was exported for uh, its of soda ash is often used in, I think, uh, in the glass industry and maybe also in the construction industry, if I remember correctly. That's what was happening over there. And so it was eventually acquired by the Tata Group and the company was effectively called Tata Chemicals. My job there was to work on a supply chain project that uh, what's the optimum mechanism to transport soda ash from Magadi, which is within the heart of the country, to the coast, to uh, the port of Mombasa. And what's the best way to, uh, you know, what's the optimal carriage and wagon mix and how can one ensure that, you know, some some effective tips and tricks to make the entire value chain more efficient. So I was basically working on supply chain efficiency and ways in which the entire transportation can be done more effectively. Based on my work in Kenya, I came back to India and I presented along with some other fellow summer interns. And thankfully, um, I got an option to what we call a pre-placement offer. So when I completed my second year of MBA after my internship, I had an option to immediately start working with the Tata Group. And this is uh, pretty much one of the best options that one can get on campus. It's a very respectable group. And the program is the flagship leadership program of the Tata Group. So, you know, it's like, for example, in India, we have the Indian Administrative Service, something which was started much earlier in the days when the Britishers were still here in India. And it's still a very respectable civil service within India. So similar to that, the Tata Group, given that, you know, it's over 100 company strong. It's almost like a parallel government of its own sorts. And because of that, there are so many avenues of uh, working with different teams, uh, different industries, different verticals, different functions. I got, thankfully, the opportunity to work with the Tata Group. So I started working with them in 2008. And I worked in a whole bunch of different companies. You know, I would be, I would be selling mineral water on the roads. We have a brand called Himalayan Water. We have a mobile phone brand uh, called uh, Tata Intercom in those days. I worked with them. I worked with Tata Power. I even got a chance to come back to Africa. Uh, I worked with a company called Tata Africa, which is like a strategic arm of the Tata Group in for investments in Africa. So a whole bunch of different opportunities came through that. So this was uh, my internship followed by joining the Tata Group. It is a very diverse company and to imagine all the possibilities, it makes you wonder, so how did you pick telecoms? How did you get into the telecoms area? So then what happened is that uh, 
longest time I was working with a company called Tata Steel. It is one of the first few companies of the Tata Group and it's a, one of the flagship companies right at the forefront. A lot of senior leadership of the Tata Group have worked within Tata Steel. Now, uh, I worked closely with the CEO at that time, which gave me a wonderful opportunity to learn a lot about leadership aspects and leadership traits. And uh, post that, I moved on to a marketing stint. And post that, I moved on to a sales stint. So I spent about five years with Tata Steel. And uh, to be honest, I reached a point where I was bored of steel. <laughs> and then that's when, you know, I wanted to venture out and do something else and have a change. Ironically, just like me, uh, there were a couple of other friends of mine, other Tata Steel colleagues, who too were on the lookout. They also uh, were on uh, checking out other options of moving out. And we formed a WhatsApp group, which we, uh, you know, we called something like the Tata Steel Frustrated Friends or something like that. And we were a bunch of three or four people who were constantly on the lookout and sharing notes and our rantings and frustrations were all voiced on that group. And then it so happened that one of my colleagues, she wrote to another one. And it's a very interesting experience because I literally stumbled into the telecom world. So, you know, person A said to person B that, listen, there is this uh, opportunity with Tata Communications, but they are being superbly slow as expected in bringing candidates further. So I've left it, but why don't you apply? And person B said that, listen, I doesn't see my cup of tea. So thanks a lot. So that's where I was... Uh, reading the conversation and I swooped in and I said, hey, listen, uh, I'd love to know further about the opportunity if you can share the details. And I started ground up. I mean, I didn't uh, reach out to any senior leaders out there. I literally reached out to the HR personnel. He connected me to his manager. Then there was a first interview and a second and a third and a fourth. So the entire experience lasted about a month and a half, two months. I made some very, very basic in my interviews, starting from asking the hiring manager that, hey, uh, doesn't voice and SMS travel in the same channel? Thankfully, he was kind enough to ignore <laughs> such, such conversations. So basically, the role was about helping set up the A2P messaging business at Tata Communications. And uh, there was a requirement of a person to lead the entire commercial management, which means all the deals, and helping grow business by interacting with the sales team because the sales team is in data communications is not limited to just selling SMS, you know, or CPAS. They, they, they are into voice, signaling, data, IoT. We have an MVNO service. So there are a whole bunch of different offerings which uh, Tarakom has, and they were needing some people to become subject matter specialists of the A2P world. So there again was an interesting experience for me. And you know, my key takeaway from that was that uh, opportunities could literally be around the corner. One just needs to keep their eyes and ears open and just take that leap of faith. It's very funny how life moves on and how things change. I had no clue about this role. I wasn't even sure if this is the right fit for me. But A, I was desperately looking at moving out of steel and doing something different. And B, this opportunity gave me a chance to spend one month in Canada. So literally... That for me was carrot enough to, you know, the, the bait was good enough for me to bite. And I, I said, okay, let's just jump in. And little did I know that that would literally be a turning point for my life, uh, let alone my career. But in my personal life, you know, so many things changed my entire experience because I, prior to this, I'd never traveled west of Africa. I'd never been to Europe. I'd never been to North America. So I was pretty much just fascinated by an opportunity to spend a couple of weeks in Canada. What's interesting is eventually, I didn't spend a month, but I spent four months in Canada. That also included a visit to UK and representing my team single-handedly in a messaging event, which funnily doesn't even exist today. It, it happened back then in 2014. I was amazed by the confidence which my team reposed in me, knowing that, you know, I've literally just, come, I mean, I, I just spent about two or three months in the organization and uh, expecting me to have that capability to represent the company, represent our business, our team, and be able to help successfully grow business. It was uh, a once in a lifetime opportunity, I'd say, and something which continued. And ever since that, yeah, uh, thankfully and hopefully there hasn't been any looking back. Been uh, in this industry now for over eight years. I spent the bulk of time with Tata Communications helping build their A2P messaging business 
And initially, you know, like any new business which you're working, it becomes like a mini startup within a larger organization. So there were a couple of other colleagues of mine uh, in US and Canada. And together, I'd say we had to act like entrepreneurs within the organization and help set up this business and pretty much take up multiple hats. You know, not only am I like doing a commercial management work, I'm doing sales, BD, marketing, you know, all those hats are put together in one and one is helping grow the business until it reached that critical mass where we got more teams aligned to us and we got more subject matter specialists working on this business line. So it has been an interesting experience and it was almost like seeing a baby grow up literally in front of me for the first time CLX in those days sent a message to South Korea. And that was the first time, uh, you know, I saw an A to P message. I mean, I didn't see, I just came to know that this has happened. So that's how it was. And that's how I got into the telecom world. Wow. And it must've been interesting with your other experiences in different parts of Tata to bring them all to, to the Tata communications projects and uh, products and services. So when was this? 2014. So I started my career with the Tata Group in 2008. And uh, we have a year of rotations in multiple uh, companies after which I settled in Tata Steel. And in 2014, I joined on 14th of February, 2014. So, you know, my love affair with the CPAS world started on that very date, <laughs> which is very ironic. <laughs> So what happened next then? So you were in Tata Communications for a while and then you decided, I want to change. I want to see what wider world is like. What was the, the thinking behind uh, behind changing your role? So firstly, in Tatacom, it was, you know, it was a wonderful experience. We were literally like a three-member team. And by the time I left, we were like a 30-member team. So, you know, the team really grew from... Uh, pillar to pillar, you know, strength to strength, and we, we really went quite high. So, you know, that entire journey was very endearing. Since I was starting from ground up, even a decimal error in a price sheet could lead to as much as like tens of thousands or maybe a hundred thousand dollars of, of losses. And which is what happened once when I made a decimal error in a price sheet for UE and the comp- it cost the company about $50,000. So, you know, those are the sort of errors which we started with, which which are typical when you know you're starting a new business and these are the teething issues and you can call this the cost of learning somewhere. I had a great time working with the group and as you said rightly, assimilating all my learnings and experiences and passing them on further within my role. I think I just reached a point where that there are these, you can sometimes label your contribution in an organization in sort of like chapters, you know, that Chapter one, you know, setting up like a first version minimum viable product, you know, then chapter two, scaling it to an X height and chapter three that, you know, augmenting it further and bringing it to another certain scale. So I think somewhere around uh, that point, you know, I'd spent uh, seven years, I'm talking last year in 2021, I'd spent uh, over seven years with uh, Tata Communications and I felt I'd reached that point where I have there are certain thresholds which we've thankfully crossed. Now, either I continue to the next challenge within the organization, which would again mean, say, another two or three years of building to the next the next frontier, and or I would leave it somewhere in the middle, right? So I really didn't want to go by the second option that I move on to the next chapter of CPAS in Tatacom and leave it midway. Uh, hence, it just felt like a, a good timing to see a possibility of shifting into another role. That's when the company where I am, Tanla Platforms, happened to come up. You know, they mentioned that we we are already very strong in India and we are very strong in a couple of international markets, but we find you as a right fit and you can help grow our CPAS business to the next level. And that's where I started my journey with uh, Tanla Platforms. So I joined them last year in June. It's been a wonderful experience because a number of things change. You know, firstly, you come from a very traditional large organization mindset to an organization which is not small, smaller than the Tata Group, yes, but not smaller in its own right. You know, it's it's a fairly large organization and we did about $400 million of uh, top line in, in the last financial year as well. 
But uh, what's interesting is the entire mindset is very different from a very organized carrier mindset to a slightly, uh, it's a 20-year-old organization, but still behaves with that same energy as a startup. So you move into a slightly bit of a startup role where, you know, your roles are slightly vague. Boundaries are very blurred between different departments and you could be wearing multiple hats while executing an assignment. So it's been an interesting experience. Uh, The company is headquartered in the city of Hyderabad, down south. The founder, uh, his name is Uday Reddy. He founded this company in 99. It's a publicly listed company. We are one of the largest CPaaS players today uh, internationally. And I can say with confidence, the largest in India. So, you know, for me, it was uh, personally a good chance to move from a very typical carrier mindset to working with a platform organization and experiencing a slightly different flavor of the industry. So Tanla prides itself in being a pioneer in various fields. And we were the first to launch a blockchain-enabled CPaaS platform uh, based on the regulations in India. So in 2018, the regulators wanted all operators to deploy a a CPaaS platform for a technology called DLT, Distributed Ledger Technology, which would help in anti-spam and anti-fraud. And Tanla was the first one in the market to come out with a wonderful offering, uh, which we call TrueBlock. And today we control about 65% of the market in that offering. So it's very interesting because this use case of uh, blockchain being used for anti-spam and anti-fraud has become the world's largest blockchain use case across any field. You know, even if you compare it to cryptocurrency or you compare it with any other field where blockchain is being used. I mean, in India, there are over a billion messages being generated every day. So in a month, there are over 40 billion messages generated and every message is scrubbed against this blockchain. So from that perspective, you're talking at least 40 billion transactions, which makes it the world's largest blockchain use case. So it's a very interesting field to be in. And now we've launched further another uh, blockchain-enabled CPaaS platform called Wisely. And my role here is to help. I mean, my, my title goes as Partnerships and Alliances. And it's very ironic because I'm single. So even till date, I'm ridiculed that your own alliance is still a question. And here you are setting up partnerships and alliances for the organization. So will you do a good job or not? So sometimes I have my own doubts around that. But uh, yeah, jokes apart, it's it's an interesting space to work with carriers and other CPAS players and find avenues of growth in a partnership model. So that's what I'm doing here at Tanla now. Still adjusting. Every day I say I'm still adjusting and finding my way through. It's just been a year till now. And I'm hoping for the best here. It sounds very interesting to actually work on an application of blockchain. You know, because you, you we hear about blockchain being used, like you mentioned, cryptocurrency. I did a, a podcast interview with a, a lecturer from the University of Sydney a couple of years ago, and she was explaining about blockchain use in the food industry and how it's really important for understanding, you know, the background to our food and where it comes from. And I mean, it makes perfect sense what you're saying to actually get that verification, that background, that assurance that there is actually, you know, a legitimate message behind. So can you explain a little bit more about how it works in that sense? Uh, So you're asking how the blockchain framework works, like what's the platform about and what does it do? If you can tell me anything more about how blockchain is applied to the messaging. So I guess uh, one needs to step back and understand why blockchain in the first place, you know, because that's the very reason why we just don't want a fancy technology for the heck of it. So what happens within the overall A2P messaging setup, not only in India, but globally also, that there are a couple of things where, you know, there is a couple of gaps or shortcomings which are there within this entire flow. First and foremost, if your uh, network is very open, uh, you are susceptible to fraud, which means uh, that an end user can receive a message with any header and with any content, and it can look like it's a bank sending a, a link, a phishing link, which effectively we call smishing in our industry. So you know, there are there can be instances of smishing. There could be instances where 
some of your one-time passwords are compromised, etc. Or if nothing else, just the entire hassle and harassment of getting bombarded with unsolicited commercial communication, as we call it. So all that brought about the, uh, the regulated TRAI in India to uh, come out with a framework where every operator needs to deploy a distributed ledger technology, whereby every entity who wants to send a message now needs to register. And they can register with any one of the six, seven licensed operators in India. And since it's over blockchain, the minute a registration is done through the blockchain consortium, all that information is readily available across all the operators. So effectively, the blockchain technology helps create an immutable trail wherein a minute a record is created on one node, it is immediately replicated across all the nodes and everybody is able to access that same piece of information. So now in India, every time a message is sent, the enterprise is registered, the header is registered, every template which you want to use is registered and we are now moving to a stage where we want every user consent also to be registered and all this is registered on the blockchain framework so due to all these registrations being available on blockchain it's an immutable source as i said right it cannot be compromised or hopefully let's put it this way it's it's far more difficult to compromise a blockchain database as compared to other uh, other technologies so from that perspective this entire registry helps ensure that the end user is rid of a lot of spam and fraudulent messages where you know the spammer is or the fraudster is impersonating some other large organization or a financial entity so that's the first level of blockchain application the second application that comes about in blockchain is that sadly for especially for commercial reasons a number of intermediaries drop some portions of the traffic so that they can you know, sort of make a quick buck or they can shave off some portion of their cost so that they can offer an apparently cheaper price in the market. You know? And sadly, many enterprises even today do not understand that uh, what appears as a cheaper per unit price, if you compare it with the total cost of ownership, it comes to the same thing because still a whole bunch of your messages are not delivering, your end user is retrying. It's a loss of customer experience. It's a financial, it's a direct financial loss, which is uh, occurring. So hence, our founder had the, the vision to launch, uh, to, to, to sort of augment on top of the DLT platform, to augment and in, to bring about more functionalities, such as having every message record being stored in the blockchain, right from the entity sending the message, the enterprise, all the way till the operator receiving the message which means that if we at least assume that the enterprise and the operator are trusted parties, no other intermediary has the ability to manipulate a message which is flowing through. So what what is ensured is that while spam and fraud is already taken care of, as I mentioned through the regulation, this additional functionality on our platform wisely helps ensure that every message is recorded in the blockchain. So an intermediary cannot drop a message And it can similarly not even artificially inflate and create junk fraudulent traffic. So because of these functionalities, we are in a phase where we are able to offer an end-to-end visibility. So this helps ensure 100% transparency. And over and above that, what we've also done is that today, not many people understand, and I'm sure Jason, you come from the industry, you'd understand this best, that Every message is readable today. An intermediary through whom an A2P message is passing is actually readable. So what we've gone ahead and done is that we've also implemented end-to-end encryption. And we've got this audited from an institute called NCC, which is uh, the world's leading cryptography institute, which also audits the likes of WhatsApp and Android and certain military communication as well. So now every message is only readable by the enterprise or by the operator and no intermediary can read the message. So this again helps ensure that your message is safe. So not only is only a right message reaching you, but also nobody else is reading reading the message. You know, we, we coined a term like my bank, my message. So every message is readable only say by the bank or by the bank's customer, which is the end user. So these are some of the functionalities which we brought about through this breakthrough platform called Wisely. We've seen some good 
feedback both from Indian operators as well as internationally. Even in the Middle East, our DLT platform, TrueBlock, is present in both the operators and UAE, for example. So we have 100% of that share. And we are working with some of the large groups in Africa, Europe, and Southeast Asia and working towards growing this entire blockchain network amongst uh, operators and enterprises internationally. So that's that's what this technology is about. And my role is to help bring on more partners and more operators onto this entire this blockchain framework. It does sound like what we need and what we've needed for quite some time in the industry and to see the actual application of a blockchain solution in that makes a lot of sense, I have to say. Based on your telecoms career so far, because you're still very young, <laughs> you must have seen some things which have frustrated you. You know, and what I'm getting at is like from a telecoms perspective, how can companies improve what they do? How can how can telecoms improve in the future? So there are two aspects to this. You know, there is the enterprise aspect, or let, let's say there are actually three aspects to this. There is the enterprise, there are the intermediaries, and then there is the end operator. You know, let's for a second assume that the end operator and the user are one party. So, you know, there is there are three sets of key people within the value chain. Uh, there are also the likes of regulators and all, but I'm not getting to that right now. So I think uh, when you look at these three members of the value chain, each one can do certain aspects, which helps ensure that the entire experience is, is, is par excellence. So I'll go in reverse order. If you look at the telecom operators, for example, I think it's important that the operators bring in as many checks and balances as possible to help ensure that uh, the network is well guarded. Uh, today, the more a network is susceptible to frauds and attacks, the lesser the confidence in the entire upstream value chain in using that channel. Like, for example, uh, if you look at WhatsApp you know, or Twitter, there have been some outages in the last two years or so. And that has uh, had a, a raised a fundamental question that are these channels dependable? Are these channels reliable? You know, an outage of a couple of hours can can create havoc, you know, at, at a global scale. And that's where an SMS again came about. Suddenly it's like, okay, let's go back to the good old SMS. At least that's our reliable friend, even if it's a plain vanilla 160 characters. But, uh, you know, even within the SMS space, there are its own, uh, there are certain points of uh, interception or certain weaknesses which 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 still lie within the sms technology as well such as as i mentioned you know the possibility of of fraud or the possibility of reading and manipulating uh, modifying the message the possibility of those messages reaching from a p2p route or things like that so overall these all impact the consumer confidence they also impact the enterprise confidence so i think first and foremost it's very important for the operators to ensure that their networks are rock-solid protected, whether it's through a firewall framework or it's through a DLT like we've done in India or other aspects. But a number of measures need to be taken by operators to protect the end consumer. That's most important. If you look at the intermediaries, I think first and foremost, you know, I think I'd say that it's important to maintain that trust within the channel by not manipulating that the, the traffic for any personal commercial gains. You know, being an intermediary today, being an aggregator is, is a very tough spot. You are squeezed by both the operator and the enterprise. The operator is all out there to increase rates. The enterprise is all out there to have reverse auctions and decrease rates. So the poor aggregator is, is crunched in the middle. And, you know, in order to survive, they have to carry out a number of different ways and means of survival. So... That, of course, doesn't act as a justification for some of the activities that happen today. And hence, I would say that as far as possible, if the intermediaries can work in a manner that without cutting corners, without manipulating the traffic or any of those sorts, it would be good to help, again, once again, have the entire channel, have, have, have all the value chain members have confidence in that channel. So I think that's very important from an intermediary perspective. I think... Uh, 
from an enterprise perspective, I'd say that, uh, and, and this comes also a bit of a role on the intermediaries for that matter, that the enterprises need to be a little more adventurous and a, a little more risk-taking. And by, by risk-taking, I mean that being open to the idea of building more on this entire CPaaS framework which exists today. You know, still there are, I mean, more and more as we, we talk about things like conversational commerce, for example, that the entire avenue is so large and there are so many opportunities available within this setup. And today I still feel we barely scratched the tip of the iceberg. There is a lot which enterprises can build on. And I think hence, I think the enterprise and the intermediaries, I think together, if, if we take them as one combination, I think both together, the intermediaries, the CPAS players, they can play their role of educating enterprises and enterprises can play their role of starting to use these additional channels which exist today. There are so many new developments happening, you know, even beyond basic CPAS. You've got your conversational AI, which is picking up chatbots, which truly and scarily impersonate human beings so well. You've got uh, ad tech, martech, customer data platform, CDP, AI, ML, all these so many buzzwords, so many things which are happening in this space today. And uh, there is so much that the enterprise and the CPAS players can work together and establish. So from that point of view, I feel that these are some of the, you know, I mean, so if I have to say it in one word each, I'd say for enterprises, it's adoption. For uh, intermediaries, it is transparency. And for the operators, it is, or for intermediaries, it's trust. And for operators, it is security. So between adoption, trust, and security, I think if each of the three members in the value chain play their respective roles, I feel there's a lot which can be done. I mean, uh, if I can just take a minute, we also have the Mobile Ecosystem Forum, which is one of the few trade bodies internationally in our space. They have what is called the MEF Code of Conduct, which talks a lot about some of these aspects. A lot of members are signatories of the Code of Conduct. And uh, I would appeal for whoever is listening to uh, this podcast that it's wonderful to be a part of that framework. Read through it. There are some very, very sensible guidelines which exist within that framework and become a signatory. You have nothing to lose, all to gain. This, uh, this helps ensure that you are working in a cleaner operating environment. So from that point of view, I think this is another. So, you know, this is where the trade bodies, the industry bodies can play their role in trying to bring that harmony and that more sensibility and security within the entire framework. So this is one example of what the various members of the value chain can do. Yeah, it's a very, a very important example, I would say. Thank you for your, your feedback. Thank you for your, your messages. I think all very good points, things which we've all seen in the, in the messaging industry need to change. And I think, uh, well, it sounds like you're on a personal mission to, to do that. So that's, that's fantastic. Going back to your career, and one of the favorite questions of our listeners is around the challenges that people have had in their careers, right? The impact of these challenges, but how do they overcome them? So my question to you is, which hurdles did you personally face and how did you overcome them? There are a couple of them which I can think of uh, top of the mind. First and foremost, I think uh, the entire experience of shifting from a steel business to the telecom business itself. I think that for me was personally the biggest challenge of all getting into a new world where, as I said, I didn't even know that SMS and voice travel on different channels. So from that perspective, I think my first and foremost challenge was learning a new industry and finding my way through that. I would say that a lot of people, in fact, I've seen incidentally many people in our CPAS. I mean, there is nothing like bachelors of telecom or like as in like bachelors of CPAS or something like that, right? Even I'm a telecom engineer and nowhere in my Four years of engineering, we spoke about SMS even once, right? So, or CPAS for that matter. So, most of us come from varied backgrounds, which are not at all directly related to the space where we are actually working today. I don't know, Jason, what is your background and whether you had any telecom or a CPAS or a similar experience. But uh, overall, uh, it was uh, 
very challenging in the beginning to get used to that. Secondly, I think culturally, I think for me, it was a big challenge. And I feel that uh, working from a very India-centric steel environment, manufacturing, very hardcore shop floor environment, to working in a softer industry, a service industry, which has a global reach. My first boss was a French-Canadian. So, you know, working in that sort of an environment, I mentioned in the past during Genesis that my experiences included puking on my VP shoes in my first round of a, we were doing a pub crawl, pub hop from one place to another in a a small town in uh, New Jersey. And uh, then this incident happened. So I think there was a lot of cultural changes for me, which one had to get used to a number of social faux which I committed through that entire experience. And uh, lastly, I'd say that I don't really mean this from a racist angle or anything, but I've seen that I personally, I termed myself as that awkward brown male in this industry trying to find my way through. So I remember trying to uh, you know, navigate my way through all these conferences and these workshops and these meetings. And uh, it was once again a big challenge to work with people of such diverse backgrounds and, uh, you know, find my way through this entire mesh, if I can say that. So if I take all these three challenges together, you know, I spoke about industry knowledge, I spoke about cultural changes, and I think the third one is a bit similar to the second, but basically sort of like building a professional standing in this industry. All three put together, my takeaway when I look back in hindsight, it's not something which I planned, but I think when I look back in hindsight, just keep going with it. Just don't stop. Just don't take a pause. You know, little by little, day by day, bit by bit, you are getting closer to becoming a part of that ecosystem. So, you know, uh, I've mentioned in Genesis also a term which has been thrown back to me a number of times in good and bad ways. Fake it till you make it, you know. So I truly believe that if one just keeps at it and is trying to slowly and steadily, as they say, just show up every day, you know, just show up. That itself is a big victory of sorts. Don't give up and just show up. So from that perspective, I think if one just keeps at it, often we don't know where there is that light at the end of the tunnel, you know, that the other end looks so far and, you know, the, the tunnel is so curved that you don't know where is the light, you know, for example. So that's where I feel that if one, without knowledge of the end end goal, without knowing when we will achieve that end point, if one just keeps at it, one day you look back and that for me, for example, was that entire visionaries gala. You know, that is a moment when you suddenly look back and you realize, okay, so there were challenges which I faced, industry knowledge, culturally, you know, a professional standing within the industry. And uh, by God's grace today, I have, hopefully, if I can take the liberty of saying, hopefully I have somewhere managed to, I won't say conquer those challenges completely, but yes, been able to make a headway within those challenges and reached a certain level of success, I'd say. So that's these are some of the challenges which I faced. And I feel that even today, you know, today I face my own different challenges of working in a very different environment. And again, uh, with another different scale of technology, you know, moving from a carrier world to a technology intensive platform world, you know, there is so much for me to learn and understand now in, in sort of a next phase of my career. So one just needs to keep at it and you will succeed. You do succeed. You, the, the, every day, as I said, if you show up, you have succeeded. So that's how it's been. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your your insights and, and your story of your career. And it's very inspirational what you're saying. I totally agree. I mean, it's all about pushing yourself and having challenges, right? So when you move from one company to another, you're pushing yourself. You're you're starting from a new beginning and you're you're going to a new level. And I think that's really brave. And I think it's uh it's important to do. We only get one life, so we have to to keep pushing for that. Absolutely. I think I'm hoping somewhere the listeners got a sense of my journey and uh, the intent more than talking about my journey in a very hedonistic manner. I think it was more about trying to share some chapters and learnings from my life 
which I'm hoping that I think we all humans at the end of the day in some shape or form are facing those same struggles, those same challenges. And I feel that there is immense scope for uh, learning from each other's lives, learning from each other's uh, mistakes. There's this uh, famous, there's this one quotation which I always believe in. There are three ways in which you can learn. Either you can read about it and then you, you've learned or you can see somebody else commit that same mistake and that's how you can learn. Or you can pee on the electric fence and learn it firsthand. So, you know, it's, it's, it's totally up to you. And I feel I always err on the third option that until I've not committed the mistake myself, I don't really internalize the learning. But I'm hoping somewhere that through, our, through your wonderful network of Rocco and through these initiatives such as Rocco Radio, one is able to hear about each other's lives, understand each other better and see what extracts of this. You know, we are all at the core, we are all one, you know, and how we can all somewhere learn from each other and keep sharing. So I think it's a wonderful experience and yes, a well-rounded end to this uh, wonderful discussion. So thank you once again. Thank you, Anurag. It's a real pleasure and a privilege to, to have you and to hear your story. And long may you prosper in, in the telecoms world because you certainly have made a difference so far and you certainly have a, lot, a great following. So I'm sure a lot of people will be watching out for your next step. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for this opportunity and look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon. Thank you and take care.